As I mentioned the last time that we were together in Mark chapter 5, what is the, the purpose of the Gospels? Why are the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, why are they writing these Gospels? And I kind of summed it up into this, is that Jesus is doing all that he's doing in his teaching, in his miracles, in all that is recorded in the Gospels. He is doing it all so that we would come to the place where we would say, we believe he is the Son of God, we believe he is the Messiah, and thus because he is God, we can trust him. To come to the place as he demonstrates his power over the demons and his power over disease. And as we're going to look at in close examination tonight, his power over death, that, that we look at that and we, we look at his sinless life. Why is it all recorded for us? So that we can come to the place in our life as we read the Gospels, as the inspired Scriptures, that we will read them and we, like the people that he was speaking to in those Gospels, will come to the place where we say, we can trust him. He is our Lord and he is our Savior and he is our God. And he's not just another man. He's not just another healer, but he is the Son of God in who we can completely put our faith and trust in. And last time we began to look at these two people in Mark chapter 5 that are mentioned in verses 21 through 43. Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue whose 12-year-old daughter was near death when he first approached Jesus. And then also this unnamed woman that had a blood disease for 12 years. And we mentioned two things the last time that we were together in this section. The first of them was that Jesus is no respecter of persons. And how many of you are thankful for that? No matter where you fall on the social status, no matter whether you are rich or poor, no matter matter whether you are a man or a woman, no matter whether you are respected and honored in the culture and community in which you live or you are rejected and shamed, maybe because of something that you have that you have no control over like this woman or whether you are a religious person, one who like Jairus was leading the synagogue or whether you were one who was excommunicated from the synagogue because of your illness. These folks could not have been any more different And yet Jesus came to both of them. He was available to both of them. And we see this all through the Gospels, that Jesus is no respecter of persons. He met both of them with the same love, with the same compassion. He he offered both of them to come to him in faith as they came to a place of desperation. And listen, that's really where you and I have to come. A place of desperation where we say, we can't help ourselves. The doctors can't help us. Help us. The, the psychologists can't help us. There is only one who can help us, and it is Jesus. It is God. And we come in desperation, first of all, for salvation, but also after salvation. We come to him. He's no respecter of persons. And aren't you thankful and glad that he will meet you right where you are? He will meet you in those lowest spots. The second thing we looked at was that Jesus responds to humble and feeble faith. Both of them put aside the acceptance by other people. Nothing else mattered to them when they came to Jesus. And they came in just simple, childlike faith. And I'm I'm often reminded, I'm thankful that God honors childlike faith. 
simple faith. Maybe not even great faith, but faith. Sometimes as small as a mustard seed, and yet God says, I see that faith, and I will respond to it. I want to read the whole section tonight just to kind of bring our hearts and minds back to the story. So begin reading with me, if you would, in verse number 21. When Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side. Remember, he had been in Gadara. He had been on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and now he is coming back. He had, While he was over there, remember that he had uh, cast the demons out of the man who was demon-possessed, sent them into the swine, The people there wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He had messed up their lives. They send him away. He's going back now to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He was nigh unto the sea. Verse 22, And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And he sought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. I was thinking as I was reading this, we have no no idea how long she had been sick. And perhaps he was just waiting there. Where had Jesus gone? Where had the healer gone? And there he sees the boats coming back across the sea. And he is there to meet him. And he falls in great humility. It says, my, He says, my little daughter lies at the point of death. And I pray thee, I beg thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. Jesus went with him, and and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians, had spent all that she had, was nothing bettered but rather grew worse. And when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and say thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing, trembling, knowing what was done in her, feeling like she may be out of line in what she had done, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth, told him her story. And he said unto her, and I love this phrase, I love it, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. I just think, I wonder how long it had been, Brother Charles, since somebody had called her daughter. She had been excommunicated from the synagogue. She had been... she. Wasn't able to be around anyone. No doubt she was so lonely. And yet this, this family name, this family terminology Jesus uses. Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Behold thy plague. And this is where we're going to deal with tonight, beginning in verse 35. While he yet spake, there come from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why trouble the master any further? It doesn't really say, I I read into that question perhaps, that this was given in sarcasm, this was given in jest. Probably the people of the synagogues, the friends of Jairus, were people who had rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They were probably 
in disdain that Jairus had come to him and fell at his feet. She's dead. He didn't accomplish what you thought he was going to accomplish. Don't trouble him anymore. Don't bother the rabbi, the teacher. Verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, and you can just imagine in that news what Jairus might have been feeling, what might have been going through his mind. Jesus, anticipating, knowing the heart of Jairus, says unto him, and I would encourage you to mark this phrase in your Bible because it is a key phrase of this section, be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him save Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he comes to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and sees the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he said unto them, Why make you this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleeps. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, He takes the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and he entered in where the damsel was lying and he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha Kumai, which is being interpreted damsel, I say unto thee, arise and straightway, immediately, because when Jesus speaks, everything obeys. The winds obey, the waves obey. The demons obey. Dead bodies obey. And straightway the damsel arose and walked. There was no in-between. She was completely healed for she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it. And commanded that something should be given her to eat. As we focus on this section, as we come to verse 35, things really go from bad to worse, don't they? No longer is she nigh unto death, she is, she is dead. Verse 35, while he yet spake, they come to him and say, thy daughter is dead. And we can only imagine what is going through Jairus's heart. Some of us who have lost someone very close to us, perhaps you understand, we understand more than anybody, the the emotions, the questions, even the rage and anger, right? And Jesus perceives that, he knows that, and so he quickly responds in verse number 36, before Jairus ever says anything, do not be afraid, only believe. And the tense there is, is that which is really saying, do not be afraid, just keep on believing. Do not be afraid, Jairus, keep on believing. That little faith that you exemplified when you came and fell at my feet, keep that faith up. Keep believing. In other words, Jesus could see Jairus' hope failing and the questions beginning to, to flood his human mind. For however long his daughter had been sick, why had Jesus chosen to go to Gadara during this time? Where is he? Where is this, this healer? And then once he is here, why in the world would he, knowing the urgency that I am in with my daughter, why would he stop to deal with this woman? I mean, she's already had this issue for 12 years. What's a few more hours? What's another day? 
Why is he postponing? Why is he stopping? It's too late now. You know, as long as she was nigh death, there was hope. But now that she was dead, in their mind, and their heart, there, there was no hope. And I want to just focus on this third thought tonight, this third point. Not only is Jesus no respecter of persons, and no, not only does Jesus respond to humble, feeble faith, but I want you to understand, and this is where we're going to focus, Jesus orchestrates and allows divine delays. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? God, why? Why the wait? What are you waiting on? It's been years since we have prayed this prayer. It's been years that we have been going through this, or maybe it's been weeks or months. Again, the contrast of these two people is very different. One has been 12 years. One has just been a few days, perhaps. And Jesus is saying to you the same thing that he is saying to Jairus. Fear not. Keep on believing. Why? Because Jesus is the only trustworthy one. And you may never see it in this life, but again, there's something greater than just understanding everything in this life, and that is that we will forever be with Jesus, and we will know Him, and we will understand it, as the the old song says, we will understand it better by and by. Jesus brings peace, and He brings hope to this chaotic and hopeless scene Maybe tonight you're in a delay. Maybe tonight you're in that place. You've been praying. You've been, you've been asking. And God hasn't answered your prayer. Or you're facing a dilemma that seems hopeless. Just keep on believing. In verse 38, when they arrive, there's, there's this chaos at the house. Much weeping and wailing. The funerals then were much different than they are now. Today we go into the funeral home and there's even signs that say, you know, please be quiet. And it's very different. There's respect, the soberness, the somberness. But then it was very different. In fact, they, they hired wailers to come and it was a very loud scene as they come here. The wailers are, are weeping. The, the, funeral, the, the funeral ceremonies are in full swing by the time that they get there. The the flutists are playing the loud, morbid music. The mourners are wailing and crying and screaming and ripping their clothes and pulling their hair. And as Jesus enters, he says in verse 39, Why make ye this ado and weep? What? what, don't, don't, Don't make such a big deal about this because this young daughter is only sleeping. She's not dead. And what is their response? More of the same. They laugh him to scorn. They mock him. This is again basically saying, Brother Chris, Jesus is crazy. Jesus is delusional. Jesus is not who he says he is. I mean, he may have had some kind of power to, you know, heal, and we don't know about all that. Certainly seems that he's got some power from somewhere. But this girl is dead. We witnessed it. We've seen death before. They laugh him to scorn. 
And by the way, the world still mocks Jesus. They, they still ridicule him. They still scoff at the reality. Even this past Sunday as we were celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there are those around the world that scoff at us because of our belief in a resurrected Savior. It's nothing new. They've scoffed Jesus and his followers since the beginning, haven't they? And how quickly things on the scene change. By the way, they're wailing, they're crying, they're mourning, they're ripping their clothes, they're pulling their hair, and in an instance, they're laughing and mocking. As I read that and thought about it, I I couldn't help but think about how one day, so quickly, the scoffers, the laughers, how quickly that laughter will turn to wailing, gnashing of teeth, the Bible says. John Phillips writes this, how sudden was their change from weeping to laughing. How total and complete was their expulsion. How complete on a coming day, listen, how complete on a coming day will be the swift change from mocking to weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. The messengers insinuate that Jesus had been wasting his time on less significant matters. They had been to the funeral. They understood the finality of death. So in verse number 40, Jesus puts all of them out of the room. Stop the the nonsense. My mind, when I read that, went back to the temple. Cleanse the temple. Get out of here. That's the type of mentality it is. All of you need to go. This is... A time for me to minister to this family. And he takes the mom and the dad and three of his closest inner circle disciples with him. And they go in alone to where their daughter is is lying. And I, I love this because Jesus isn't a performer. He doesn't say, okay, go get all these people and bring the crowds around. And once we, we get a crowd of people, then I will raise this girl. No, he's not about the performance. In fact, it's interesting. We may never know why in verse number 43 he charged them straightly that no man should know it. Again, God's timing. He knew where he was in his way to the cross. And he knew what no doubt this news would bring. But he says, verse 41, look at it again. He took the damsel by the hand. He said unto her, Talitha Kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. Don't you wish you could have been a fly on the wall in that room? Okay, don't you wish you could have been one of the disciples? Maybe that's better. How many of you would rather be one of the disciples than a fly? All right. To see this, to see this sight, mom and dad no doubt have tears in their eyes. They believe they have lost their only child and then Jesus comes into the room and he takes this little little girl by the hand and he says, damsel, literally interpreted little lamb, little lamb, arise. And immediately she gets up and begins to walk. 
And giving her something to eat proved that she was not only well, but that she was able to continue functioning. She was completely healed. In verse 42, they were astonished with great astonishment. They were ecstatic. They were amazed. And by the way, Jesus will amaze you, won't he? What all he does. Let me just kind of close by giving you a couple applications to this. Why, why does God allow delays? Why does God allow us to go through these delays in our life? Why? Let's deal with the woman first of all. Why 12 years? Why, why not a few months? Why not a year? Why did Jesus stop to deal with others when he knew that Jairus was so desperate for him to get quickly to his daughter before she died? Why did he allow these these delays? Why did he do the same for Lazarus? When he got the news about Lazarus, he didn't go right away. And Mary and Martha blame him for the, the same thing as the messengers do. If you would have been here, Lazarus would not have died. What about in our own lives? Two thoughts about this. The first one is that I I believe that delays deepen our understanding of God's character. Delays deepen our understanding of who God is. Again, this woman for 12 years. Let me just say this. If she had been cured year 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. If she had been Touched and healed by someone else, uh, maybe a mere physician, she would have never met the great physician had there not been this delay. Again, God never moves without purpose or plan. And because this woman with the issue of blood understands not only is God a healer now, but he's also a savior This delay created the opportunity for Jesus to reveal to this woman that he is much more than a physical healer, much more than some physician. He is the sovereign Lord. And why did he have Jairus and his wife experience such pain? Before this moment, I want you to understand, before this moment, all Jairus knew that he could do was heal. That's all he had seen. That's all he had heard. He didn't have any idea that Jesus had any power beyond that until this moment. Could he have gone when she was just sick and healed her like he had others before? Absolutely. But he delays on purpose. Do you believe that? It's on purpose. He would have just raised her from her sickness, which he had been doing many, many times. But now he allows Jairus and his wife to see that not only is he a healer, not only is he a savior, but he is the sovereign over the grave. This is a man who has power over death. These delays deepen their understanding of who Jesus is. And by the way, this is the same way that God wants to work in our life. He allows these delays for us to know, have a better understanding of who Jesus is. You might say, well, he's a giver of good gifts. That's who Jesus is. 
But what about when he turns the gifts off? He then makes a way whereby he can teach us that he's something else other than just the giver of good gifts. Sometimes our view of Jesus is so small, isn't it? Sometimes we take the the little storybook mentality of Jesus. And sometimes he has to bring us into despair and delays for us to understand in a deeper way the character of God, all of his characters, all of his attributes. When we go through a delay, when we're faced with a life-altering dilemma, he reveals to us this, that he is everywhere. That he is all-powerful, that he is omnipotent, that he is all-knowing. He acts that out in our lives when we experience delays and interruptions. And the psalmist expresses this this way in Psalm 22, verses 1 through 4. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? By the way, Jesus himself prayed that on the cross, didn't he? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent. Notice this. Notice the turn in the psalmist. But he quickly turns his mind to what? The character of God. But thou art what? Holy. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praise of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. Listen, here's what I want you to understand tonight. That when delays come and when dilemmas come and when things out of our control come, do not let yourself focus on the darkness, on the dilemma, on the delay. Quickly turn your heart and mind to the character of God. And remind yourself of who He is. That He is indeed sovereign in complete control. That word sovereignty, I believe it with all my heart, it is a a word in the last years, I guess specifically since COVID and since things have happened in our world and in our life and in our church that is beyond my imagination, beyond why God would allow it. It is something that I have had to go back to time and time again. God, you are sovereign. You are right. You are in control. You're in total control. It's a word that we need in the forefront of our vocabulary as Christians. Delays deepen our understanding of God's character and and then... Lastly, delays develop our trust in God's character. Not only our understanding of God's character, but they develop our trust in God's character. You know what the Lord is saying to Jairus? Don't throw in the towel, Jairus. Keep believing. Keep believing in me. Delays deepen our trust. All of us as fathers with young children, and my brother-in-law, Luke, is the master of this, I guess. We all have those moments where we do something kind of crazy to make our kids trust us. Jump from this high spot, and I will catch you. 
Jump from the high dive and I will catch you. My, my brother-in-law Luke used to scare the grandparents to death because all of his children, they would be uh, not even a year old, not even walking, and they would stand on his hand, and he's, a, he's about 6'5", and he would lift them as high as he could up in the sky and drop them and catch them. Now, all of us dads know a little bit of that's for our ego, right? But, but whenever, they, whenever they do it, Brother Keith, whenever they jump to us and there's this newfound trust in them, there's an excitement, isn't there? They trust me. At times we feel like we're literally out on the limb. God, what are you doing? And, and all we get from God is, hey, trust me. Let go. Let go. Let go of that. And trust me. Many times we, we try to hold on, don't we? Hold on to what we know. Hold on to our human ability like we talked about this morning. Keeping that security blanket. Blanket. But when we finally trust in the Lord and we let that go and we say, God, you are sovereign, you know more than I know. You are God and I am not. I trust you completely. There is something there that deepens our trust, not just our understanding, but when we actually leap out and do it. All right? So step one. Tell yourself in your mind, remind yourself, uh, this is very, very practical. When you find yourself in that place where you don't seem like you can let go, you can't jump, you can't trust, first of all, remind yourself often, daily, of the character of God, and then let go. And when you let go, it will develop your trust in who he is. David was brutally honest with God in his prayers, weren't you? Wasn't he? I, I love to read the Psalms. I love to read the prayers because he is just blunt. He is, by the way, you and I can be too because God already knows how we feel. Why do we try to hide how we really feel in our prayers? And I love that about David. And we see that in Psalm 13. Take your Bibles and we'll end here in the Psalms as we close. Now I want you to remember when David writes this, he is running from his life from the king of Israel who is after him to kill him after he has just become a national hero in Israel for defeating Goliath. I mean, he has just brought really the nation back around confidence in in their God again. And now the leader of the nation of Israel is after him, is, is trying to kill him. He's hiding for his life in caves. Seemingly, seemingly, keyword. Humanly speaking, God has deserted him. Humanly speaking, God has forsaken him. But he knows that's not true. You know why? Because he knows the character of God. He knows who he really is. 
God can't leave him. So look at it. Look at the first part. Verse number one. How long? Four times. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel? You see the delays here? What's going on, God? Why are you delaying? How long is this going to last? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? God, consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Mark this little phrase, light in mine eyes. Now when you read that, you might do what I did, what I did first of all when I read it. Kind of read it, enlighten my eyes. How many of you, that's what you think of when you first, show me, God, what you're trying to do. But that's not at all the, the meaning of that. It's, it's literally to put light in my eyes. He was no doubt in a depressed state. And he's saying here, God, consider and hear me. Really what he's praying is, God, give me hope back again. This delay has really taken away my hope. Lighten my eyes. Give me, give me light in my eyes again, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest I die from this emotional, spiritual Physical depression, lest mine enemies say I prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Then look at verse 5, shift, but I have trusted in thy mercy. You know what he's doing? Reminding himself of the character of God. Reminding himself that God will never leave me, nor forsake me. That God is merciful. He has delivered me in the past. He will deliver me in the future and he will take care of me and deliver me now. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation, not just eternal salvation, but the salvation from the king. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. How long, how long? Psalm 10, 1. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? Have you ever felt that way? By the way, it's okay to ask God those prayers, those questions, as long as you come back to remind yourself of who he really is and that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Here's great news for you and I. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15 and 16. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Is that even possible, mom's... At least good moms would say, no, that's not even possible. But we know that that it is possible. We've seen women desert their children. So he goes on to say, yea, they may forget. Notice this. Yet will I not forget thee. Again, humans will fail you and humans will disappoint you, but God never will. Behold, I have, I love this, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. David, in his Psalms, he goes from from sighs to a song, from tears to triumph. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. 
David begins to rehearse the steadfast faithfulness of God. He is changeless. He's always had a plan for David, and he still does. He's always strengthened David in his weakness, and he still will. And David gives a song of triumph and a song of thanksgiving. Don't forget to revisit the goodness of God. Don't forget to rehearse the deliverance of God. Don't get trapped in the claustrophobia of the present darkness. Did you hear that? Don't get trapped in the claustrophobia of the present where you can't see the goodness of God in the past and you can't see the goodness of God in the future. That's exactly what Satan wants you to do, by the way. Get so focused on the present. Get so focused on the darkness that you can't remember what he did for you in the past. And you can't remember what he's promised for us in the future. Don't get stuck there. Don't get trapped there. The clear and present danger is our first impulse. And it blocks the view of the goodness of God. How has God sustained you? Rehearse it. How has God sustained you? What do we have to look forward to in the days ahead? Psalm 41 through 3, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited through the delays. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. It's rehearsing the goodness of God in the past. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, and he established my goings, and he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. I love this. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with my song will I praise him. The Lord is my strength and my shield. Would you say that with me? The Lord is my strength and my shield. One more time like you really mean it. The Lord is. Remind yourself of the character of God. And then jump out and trust him. Say, I don't know if that's possible. You've got to take the leap. Trust the only absolute trustworthy one. He'll never disappoint you. Father, thank you.